Welcome to the John Campia Podcast, episode 21 for Tuesday, May the 31st, 2016. This episode of the John Campia Podcast is sponsored by geekfeed.com. Stuff your geek hole. Hey there, guys, and thanks for joining me on this episode of the John Campia Podcast. What is going on with Rogue One? Is Disney really unhappy with what they're seeing so far? Also, now that X-Men Apocalypse is in theaters, where does the franchise go from here, with or without Brian Singer? Supernatural has its season finale and a whole bunch more. So sit back, relax. The John Campia Podcast starts right now. Well, hey there, guys, and welcome, finally, to the next episode of the John Campia Podcast, episode number 21. Now, for those of you keeping count, yeah, it's been a while since the last one. May 9th was actually the last one that we uh, had put up there. But a few things have been going on in the world of John Campia. Uh, obviously, the big thing is that our new show, Film HQ, is now up and running. Um, we're going to be recording episode 5 this week. I've been... Super happy with it. It's, of course, on the new Comic-Con HQ network, uh, which you, of course, can subscribe to. Just go to www.comic-conhq.com. That's comic-conhq.com. And you can go and get your free subscription there. The site is actually free uh, until just after Comic-Con in July. So you can see all the stuff that's going on there right now. It's the best kind of thing. You can go and check out all the new programming and you can decide without putting any money down if Comic-Con HQ is worth your $4.99 a month. Um, and I think it is. I'm super happy with it. Actually, I was just told that um, com- that Film HQ is actually the number one show on the network right now. So I'm very, very happy about that. Thank you to all you guys who've been supporting it. So that has been keeping me a little bit busy getting that up and going, but I was damn determined that I was going to get the next episode of the podcast uh, put up here this week. So that is what we're doing. That is what we're here to do. And look, there are some big things going on. And I thought for today, I knew you guys would ask about it and bring them up. So I thought, you know what, today I'm going to do an all Facebook questions day. So a little bit earlier this morning, I put up on my Facebook uh, account, said, hey guys, what topics or questions do you want me to address on the podcast today? And that's what we're going to do today. And you guys did not disappoint me. You brought up some of the biggest issues going on right now, and I'm going to address them as well as I can at any rate, give you my two cents worth and my perspective at any rate on a number of these things. So without any further ado, let's get right into it. And the first question today comes to me from Sebastian Thrower. And by the way, if you want to follow me on Facebook or on Twitter, I do a lot of Facebooking and a lot of tweeting. You can follow me both at John Campia. So it's facebook.com slash John Campia. On Twitter, it's twitter.com slash John Campia. Very simple to follow me on either of them. And I'm taking these questions today from my Facebook page. So first question from Sebastian Thrower who writes, obvious question is obvious. Thoughts on the Rogue One panic. Now, for those of you who don't know what Sebastian is talking about, a report has come out suggesting that, oh my God, Rogue One is going in for reshoots. Disney is unhappy with it. They don't like the movie so far. They want significant and massive reshoots um, to go on and blah, blah, blah. And this morning, it is everywhere. That story is everywhere. There are headlines On most of the major movie news websites, kudos to those other movie news sites who are not running this as headlines. But they're running headlines, Star Wars, Rogue One, in trouble. 
reshoots ordered as a result of unhappy Disney execs and, and all this kind of stuff. But you guys know what I have taught you guys to do, right? When you see stories like this, the first thing you need to do is go into those headlines and see where is this website getting this story from? Now, sometimes you'll see that the Hollywood Reporter is claiming, or Variety is claiming, or The Wrap is claiming, or The Daily Beast is claiming. You know, there's some really verifiable, solid, journalistic websites. And if you see that those are the sources, not that they're also reporting it, but if you see that those types of sites are the source, you can go, huh, well, there might be something to this. However... Applying that principle to this situation, when I saw these headlines popping up about Disney panicking and blah, 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 sure enough, every single one of these websites running this story is quoting from the exact same source. All of it is coming from one source. They're all pointing back to this place is saying this. And who is that place saying it? Is it Variety? No. Is it The Hollywood Reporter has discovered? Nope. Nope. Is it The Daily Beast today is reporting? Nope. Nope. It's all coming from this kind of gossip rag that is five times more wrong than not, Page Six. It's a UK publication called Page Six that should not be trusted for anything. Anyway, that's not to say that they're never right. I mean, a broken clock is right twice a day. It's not that they're never right, but they're not a reliable source. So when I dug into this, and I'm sure many of you guys did this too, and you realize, wait a minute, all these websites are all reporting on this same story coming from one site, an unreliable, you know, rumor mill site called Page Six. <clears throat> I'm not saying Page Six isn't entertaining. I'm not saying page six isn't fun. I'm not saying people shouldn't read page six. Not at all. I'm just simply saying you got to take a giant, you know, uh, grain of salt when they are breaking news and reporting something that nobody else got. And I did what then I normally do. I will get on, hop on my email or hop on my text and I'll send out a message to one of the reps at one of the studios, depending on what story the studio goes with. This one happens to be Lucasfilm and, and Disney. So I hopped on the horn and I started reaching out to some of the Disney people I know. And they're all going like, no, that's dumb. So look, um, is this true? No. What is true is that Rogue One is going in for reshoots. But as guys like myself, Jeremy Johns, John Schnepp, what we have been telling everybody for the last couple of years is big budget blockbusters that have huge budgets, they now, we, we heard Kevin Feige talk about this, they plan in advance, they block out time in advance and budget in advance, <clears throat> pardon me, for a round of pickup shooting and reshoots. They plan for this. We talked, remember the same kind of thing went out when uh, Captain America Civil War was being shot. It's like the word got out that they were going back for reshoots and everybody acted like freaking chicken little and the sky was falling for 48 hours. They were like, oh my gosh, Captain America Civil War is in trouble. This means the studio doesn't like what they're seeing, blah, blah, blah. And I remember John Schnepp and I were on Heroes and we were both like everybody. Calm down. This was planned. 
Kevin Feige mentioned like two or three years ago, all of our films, we block out time and plan and budget for doing pickup shots and reshoots. Because they have the type of money. See, not every movie that gets produced has the kind of money that they can afford to plan for reshoots and pickup shots. Not every movie has the luxury of watching some rough cuts and going, hmm, I think we could tighten that up. Oh, you know, now that we're seeing it on the screen, you know what would be good here? Blah, 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 blah. But the big major blockbusters, your Batman v Supermans, your Captain America Civil Wars, your Star Wars films, your, your big blockbuster films, they plan for, because they got so much money invested in these things, they plan for pickup shots and reshoots later down the line. This is nothing new. We've been telling you guys this for years. This is nothing new at all. This was always planned. This was always in the works. And now they're just doing what they were planning on doing. Guess what? At some point, you know, once once Avengers, um, well, whatever the new movies are going to be called, they used to be called the Infinity War 1 and 2. Now it's going to be called something completely different. But once they start shooting the new Avengers movie, at some point after they're done principal photography, you will hear reports about how they're going back for reshoots. That is going to happen. They did it for The Force Awakens. They did. They do it for all these films. This means nothing. Now, once again, if we were to find out, like let's say this wasn't a page six story, but The Hollywood Reporter broke a story. We have confirmed with several sources at Disney that um, people weren't really thrilled with the first cut of Rogue One and they need to address some issues. Then we have something to talk about. Then we have something to talk about. All this is, is once again, somebody finding out that resuits are happening and then preying on the, um, the general audience not knowing that that's normal, that that's, that's planned, that that's nothing. So what you do is you get this site who picks up on the fact that there's reshoots going on and they decide to prey on the fact that a lot of people out there don't realize that that doesn't mean anything and they start writing these stories and headlines and then all these other websites play their game. They get caught, they play their game and they start uh, following headlines with links back to the original site. It's, it's preposterous. It's preposterous. There is nothing going on. There is nothing wrong. Everything is fine. Um, this was all a part of the play. Now, that doesn't mean that Star Wars Rogue One is going to be awesome. I mean, Star Wars Rogue One might end up being bad. We, we won't know until we see the movie. The trailer was great, but, you know, just because it's got a great, great trailer doesn't mean the movie's going to be good. Maybe the movie will be bad. All I'm saying is that hearing that they're going back for reshoots and pickup shots is in no way any indicator that the movie will be bad or any indicator that the movie will be good. It doesn't mean anything at all. It just means they're doing what they were planning on doing the entire time. Anyway, that's my two cents uh, on that whole thing. So I got a, like 500 other questions to get through here. I'm going to get through as many as I can in the next half hour or so. So anyway, next question. Uh, David Alvarez writes, John, what do you think of the Jar Jar Binks Sith, Sith theory? Well, they, I mean, we addressed that a year ago. It's, it's, it's stupid. It's just stupid and it's dumb. Anyway, um, Ahir Lodi writes, do you think that we will ever see a return of 2D animation films in theaters? It's, I, I think we will, but do I th ever think we will see like four 2D animation films in wide release in a year? No. I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Those days are gone. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of like asking, 
are we going to see a return to black and white film? No. I mean, every once in a while, we'll get a black and white film. I think that's kind of cool and different. But will it ever become the thing again? No. Because technology came along. And technology, better re technology replaced... Um, Inferior technology, as far as color, you know, color being introduced to black and white. The same is true of 2D and 3D animation. Let me don't get me. I'm not downplaying the beauty and the gorgeousness of 2D animation, but there, 3D animation is simply superior. It's there's far more things that they can do. They can produce and it looks better. They can make it look true to life. They can and it just gives them more capabilities as well. That doesn't take away all the positives of 2D as well. And I do believe we will continue once in a while to get a 2D animated film because it's a beautiful uh, genre of art. But will it ever truly be a thing again? Like three wide release 2D animated films this year? No, I don't think that's ever going to happen again because like black and white to color, the technology came along and we've moved on to, to something better. Anyway, uh, next question comes from Dominic Suma who writes, who's the more compelling on-screen villain? Tom Hiddleston as Loki or Michael Fassbender as Magneto? Both played by great actors and have had three movies. Whew. Good question. Now, remember, we're not asking the question, who's the better comic book character, Loki or Magneto? That's not the question. That's not what we're dealing with here. We're talking about who's been more compelling, um, Tom Hiddleston as Loki or Fassbender as Magneto. It's a tough call. It's, it's a little bit apples to oranges because Tom Hiddleston has completely embodied the spirit of Loki in many ways. Um, and playing his character. And, and, and really what makes him stand out great is the fact that he's pretty much been the only decent villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, Loki and the Red Skull. To me, that's it. Therein ends the strong Marvel Cinematic Universe. There have been some passable villains. Um, Ronan the Accuser in Guardians of the Galaxy was a passable villain, uh, for example. I thought that was okay. But for the most part, like uh, Malekith, um, yellow jacket, uh, you know, it's just things like this. Baron Zemo, who I thought was a, even, even though I think Captain America Civil War is outstanding. It's going to be in my top 10 best films of the year list, no doubt. But I, I didn't think Baron Zemo was very good. Marvel has not been strong with their villains. They have taken an approach to, we don't want the focus to be on our villains. We want the focus to be on our heroes. And it's hard to argue against their success. They've had amazing success doing that. And audiences have loved the way they've handled it. But it does mean, like with everything, there's, 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 um, there's got to be a, a cost, right? If you want to have like two hours of action, okay, that's great. But the trade-off for that means you're going to have less dramatic development if you do that. You can say, we want to have this great, fleshed out, well-dived-into villain. And it's like, okay, great. But understand there's going to be a trade-off for that. So less time for your heroes, less time for some secondary characters. And it all depends on what the studio... Where does the studio want to strike that balance? And Marvel, for the most part, has decided what works best for them is striking the balance more hero-heavy and less attention on the villain. And for it's hard to disagree and it's hard to argue with their results for their movies. Now, that doesn't mean that would be the right balance for every movie. I mean, none of us would have rather had less Heath Ledger as the Joker in The Dark Knight. No, but that was the right balance for that movie. And Christopher Nolan 
doing what Christopher Nolan does. He struck the perfect balance and had the right amount of the Joker versus Batman. And, you know, some people criticized there might have been a little bit too much Joker in the movie. Not that there was too much Joker. Some people felt there might not have been enough Batman in that movie. But for me, that was the right balance for that film and that story they were telling. Marvel has a different line of balance for their films, and it seems to be working for them. As far as Magneto goes, though, I mean, it's funny because we've never had anybody else play Loki in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But we have had somebody else play Magneto, haven't we? We've had the great, the immortal Ian McKellen playing Magneto, who a lot of us are like, oh my God, you can't do Magneto any better than this. And then they bring along Michael Fassbender and a lot of people are going, oh my God, you can't do Magneto any better than this. And it's, so it's, it's hard to say. So I will give the, personally, I will give the slight edge to Tom Hiddleston as Loki. But if you ask me tomorrow, I may change my mind because Michael Fassbender as Magneto, even in a movie that wasn't great. I didn't think X-Men Apocalypse was great. I enjoyed it. You guys probably saw my review. I enjoyed X-Men Apocalypse, but I didn't think it was a great movie, you know? And even when he's in a movie that that isn't great, Michael Fassbender is great as Magneto. So, man, it's it's tough to call. I hate, I hate pushing. Um, when you guys ask me, do you prefer this or this? I hate pushing. But this is, to me... For the most part, it's a push, although I will today give the slight edge to Tom Hiddleston as Loki, but if you ask me tomorrow, I may change my mind. Great question. All right, next question. Uh, This message comes from Joe Messina, Joe Messina, who writes, what film do you think deserves to be remade or rebooted? Roger Ebert once said, bad films that had great potential should be remade to try to achieve the missed opportunity. So what film would you choose? recast it, new director, you choose. Um, One of the first movies that come to mind for me that I thought the original, and you guys have heard me talk about this before, the original that had loads of potential and wasn't a bad little movie, but certainly did not live up to the potential of what it it built for itself, to me was Underworld. Um, Now, it's... It's funny saying that because we have a new Underworld movie coming um, that's not a reboot. It's another sequel. And this is a franchise that has just totally gone off the rails and totally lost its way. Who knows? Maybe the new one will be great. I I hope it is. I can't wait to see it. But this is a franchise that has come off the rails. But that first one, even though it didn't live up to its potential, I thought, man, the mythology that they built about the history of the werewolves, of the lichens and the vampires and the hunters and the death dealers and all this kind of stuff. I thought the potential was there to make a fascinating and fantastic cinematic world. And it didn't quite live up to it. So to me, if I would love to see them just scrap a franchise and then reboot it, do it with Underworld in about five years. I think Underworld would be a great thing to do in about five years to live up to that incredible potential that they built into it. Um, Okay, anyway. Uh, Sean O'Keefe is writing more recognizable ship to the general public, the Millennium Falcon or the Starship Enterprise. Two iconic, amazing ships in the movie world. And I'm going to surprise some of you here. The most, I th- the way you've asked the question, you didn't ask which is the better ship, which, no, 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 you're asking more recognizable ship to the general public. I'm going to say the USS Enterprise. 
I'm going to say the USS Enterprise. And the reason I'm going to say that is not because Star Trek is more popular than Star Wars. Obviously, that's not true. Star Wars is far more popular than Star Trek. But Star Trek, the Enterprise, is always like the centerpiece of the Star Trek movies. And all the Star Trek TV shows. I mean, it's the Enterprise. The, the show is about the Enterprise. Um, this is the USS Enterprise. It's five-year mission to go to strange new worlds, to seek out new life, new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. I mean, it's right in the premise of the show. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. The, the Enterprise is the focal point of the Star Trek lore. And that, that's one of the amazing things about it. Whereas the Millennium Falcon is different. It's it's Han Solo's ship, and some of the movies focus on Han and, and when he's on a ship, but a lot of the movie won't. Like, for maybe 20 minutes of the movie, we'll be on the, the Falcon or seeing the Falcon, but then the other hour of the movie, hour and 20 minutes of the movie, we're not. We're away from the Falcon. It's not the centerpiece of it. Um, and because of that... I will go out on a limb and say that my guess is which is more recognizable to the general public, the Falcon or the Enterprise? I'm going to say the Enterprise. Again, I'm not, that's not saying that in no way suggests that Star Trek is better than Star Wars. It's not. It's not suggesting that it's a better ship than the Falcon. It's none of that. But you're asking me the question, what do I think is the most recognizable? I think the Enterprise is because it is such a centerpiece of every Star Trek show. I mean, other than like Deep Space Nine or Voyager. Um, but it's the centerpiece of Star Trek has been the Enterprise. And uh, so that's I'm going to stick with that. All right, let's move on to the next question. This question comes from Tim Plate, who writes, Is Kevin Spacey underappreciated? I don't think he gets mentioned with the greats enough. Um, yes, Kevin Spacey is absolutely underappreciated. Multiple Academy Award winner. Um, the guy can do anything. And the reason I think he's underappreciated right now is because he, he made some questionable choices and and decided to be in some questionable films and had some questionable moves with his career in movies that took him off the radar. But it really shouldn't have. Because if you're just talking about the guy's talent, he's as good on his best day. On Kevin Spacey's best day, he can go toe-to-toe with anybody. On Kevin Smith's best day, he can go toe-to-toe with anybody. Now, then you get into the level of like a Daniel Day-Lewis who, even on Daniel Day-Lewis's not best day, he's better than 99% of the actors in the world. But I do believe Kevin Spacey is underappreciated. I should, I do believe he should get more credit. I, I, I think the, stu- the Superman Returns thing hurt him. Um, I think being Lex Luthor in that hurt him, even though it wasn't his fault at all. I think that hurt him. There have been a couple other knocks against him. But it's always been about, I think, because of choices of which movies he's been in. It's never that Spacey has turned in or mailed in an effort or mailed in a performance. That's never been the case. It's just that he's been in some questionable movies and that eventually took him off a lot of people's radar. And I think that's unfortunate. Now, we've seen him resurge lately, I mean, with House of Cards. But I think he needs one or two killer roles and everybody in, in a major motion picture. And then I think everybody will remember that Kevin Spacey is a badass. I would love to see Kevin Spacey host the Oscars. I think he would be an amazing host for the Oscars. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for that for a while. 
All right, guys, before we go on with the show, we want to take a moment and thank the sponsors of the John Campia podcast, geekfeed.com, the world's greatest dedicated geek news feed, providing you with fresh, juicy, up-to-the-minute breaking news and shareable content on all things geek. It's the place to get your geek fix. They eat and sleep nothing but geek, scouring the interweb to serve up some seriously tasty geek nuggets. So get ready to cram every orifice with the very latest from the world of comics, games, TV, and movies. Chow down on the funniest vines and memes. Feast your eyes on the latest trailers, posters, and fan art. And make sure you connect with geekfeed.com across all their social media platforms at geekfeed.com. D-O-T-C-O-M at geekfeed.com. That's geekfeed, D-O-T-C-O-M. Check them out. And we want to thank geekfeed.com for sponsoring the John Campia podcast. Anyway, next question comes from Rana Das, who wrote, "Main, main antagonist for next season of The Flash? Main antagonist for the next season of The Flash? Um, well, I mean, they go through um, a lot of characters. On the show, they go through an awful lot of characters and an awful lot of villains. Uh, but they, each season, they've had a main villain for the show, whether it was Reverse Flash, uh, season one, season two, the main villain has been uh, Zoom. And if you, this might be a little bit, bit of a spoiler for those of you who have not seen the season finale, but if you watch the season finale of Flash, you saw Zoom being caught by the time wraiths and as they catch him you see him becoming deformed and look there's no getting around it he was turning into the black flash i mean at least now maybe that was just an easter egg maybe that was just a tip of the hat by um by the showrunners to the fans by having him kind of mutate into what looked exactly like the black flash or was as a foreshadowing of this is the next villain. This is the villain to come. We're not done with this guy yet. He's now the Black Flash. So I'm going to go out on a limb. It's just a guess, but I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that the next villain will be the Black Flash. Um, all right, next question. Aaron Tedders writes, if Rogue One is a critical disaster and fans also don't respond well to it, do you think that will drastically affect Disney's plans to make anthology films going forward? By the way, this had nothing to do with the reshoots. I didn't even realize those were happening until I saw the comment that I was typing. So, okay. So if, look, this is the same question we got when The Force Awakens was coming out, right? If The Force Awakens bombs and audiences don't like it, will affect what they do moving on. And I'm going to kind of give the same answer that I did then. They have so many wheels in motion right now. They have so many films in the works. And the first one was just a smash hit, both critically and obviously at the box office. Massive hit. If, first of all, Rogue One won't be bad. But if it is, it's possible. If it is, the fans don't like it. The critics don't like it. Doesn't do all that great at the box office. Then what will that affect it moving forward? I'm going to say no. One film won't. Because like, they're already going to be into shooting Han Solo. By the time Rogue One comes out, Han Solo will already be in production. Episode 8 is already going to be in the can. So if they have one bad one, that will be concerning to them, but I don't think they're going to change any of their plans. Now, if they do Rogue One and it disappoints, 
And then they do episode eight and it disappoints. And then Han Solo comes out and it disappoints. That's a different story. That is a totally different set of circumstances that we're talking about then. And that would change the game. But as of right now, if, and that's a huge giant if with flashing light bulbs around it and giant asterisks, if Rogue One somehow disappoints, if the audience doesn't like it, if the critics don't like it, if it doesn't do very well, like say it only makes... 300 million at the box office as opposed to 1.6 billion dollars at the box office or something if that happens i do not think it's going to affect anything it won't it'll take a couple in a row i think to derail it and so right now i think even if rogue one turns out to be that disaster i don't think it's going to change course for disney much it'll be strike one and then if strike two happens then maybe things start to change but if it does for Rogue One, it's just one film. They've got other things in the works. They're going to have other th- movies in the can already. They'll be fine. All right. Uh, next question comes from Efren Guzman, who writes, John, what are your thoughts regarding the latest X-Men film? As a trilogy, I thought it was far superior to Iron Man, to the Iron Man trilogy and the Nolan Batman. Thoughts? And as an old ECW crowd, welcome back. Um, okay. First of all, Okay, let's go with this. Do I think the, this current X-Men trilogy, X-Men First Class, X-Men Days of Future Past, X-Men Apocalypse, do I think it's better than the Iron Man trilogy of Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3? I will say yes. I do believe this X-Men this this particular X-Men trilogy of films is better than the Iron Man trilogy of films. Um, if you take the best of each, Iron Man 1, clearly the best Iron Man film, to me... X-Men Days of Future Past is the best of these these new X-Men films. But a lot of people will argue that First Class is even better. I don't think so, but a lot of people believe that. So let's just go with what my thought is on this for now, since I'm the one sitting here talking in front of the microphone. That X-Men, I think X-Men Days of Future Past is better than Iron Man 1. So then let's go to the second best film. Uh, X-Men First Class. And I believe the sec- second best Iron Man film is Iron Man 3, the one directed by Shane Black. I know a lot of people didn't like that film. I, I got a kick out of it. I liked it. Um, I th- um, I'll give a slight edge to First Class over Iron Man 3. Okay? So there I've got, uh, out of their best installments, I give it to X-Men. On their second best installment, I give it to uh, X-Men. And on the third best installment which I think the worst Iron Man film is Iron Man 2. I think the worst of these new X-Men films is X-Men Apocalypse. I think, again, I'll give the nod to X-Men. I think X-Men Apocalypse is a better film than X-Men 2. So if you look at all three, if you compare the best film of each series, the second best films of each series, and the third best films of each series, I believe the X-Men trilogy wins across the board. Um, Now, better than the Christopher Nolan Batman films. No, no, I I don't think these X-Men films, this particular X-Men trilogy is better than the Christopher Nolan trilogy. Look, it's no big secret. I'm not a big fan of uh, the third uh, Christopher Nolan installment of the Batman franchise. I think that was the worst of it. But the first two were great. The second one, you're going to hear a lot of people make arguments that the second one, The Dark Knight, is the greatest comic book film of all time. I, I don't believe that. I believe it's like second or third, but that's still outstanding. Um, but you're going to hear a lot of people would back up the idea of The Dark Knight 
the one with Heath Ledger as the Joker, is the greatest comic book film of all time. A lot of people believe that. And I just think the first two films are too strong. Um, and they outpace. They outpace. And I, I would have to say the Christopher Nolan trilogy is better than the, um, the thing. Now, I believe as a trilogy, I believe the Captain America trilogy is better than the Nolan trilogy. It's better than the X-Men trilogy. It's better than the Iron Man uh, trilogy of films because they've all been, to my opinion, I, I think the first Captain America movie, Captain America, the first Avenger, I think that is woefully underappreciated. I think that's a wonderful movie. I think that is an absolute wonderful movie. Um, I don't think it's as good as Civil War and I don't think it's as good as um, Winter Soldier, but I think it's an absolutely marvelous film. I think it's underrated. So anyway, that's just my thoughts on that right now. Uh, next question. Pranath uh, Gunasikaram writes, your thoughts on the Raptors playoff run. Also, what are your NBA final predictions? All right. Sorry, you guys who hate sports. I'm going to talk about sports for just a second here. Really impressed with the, the Raptors playoff run. Um, I think they acquitted themselves very well. They lost. First of all, they won two games against the Cavaliers, who are clearly the better team. They are clearly the better team, and yet they they found a way to win two of those games. I thought that was really impressive. This is still a young team, and I think next year they're going to be even better. I think it was a great playoff run. They just ran into a better team with the best basketball player my generation has ever seen. Uh, since He's the best basketball player since Jordan. It's LeBron James just is. He just is. Everybody can argue with me, but I'll point to any statistic you want. Any single statistic, factual, on paper, black and white statistic you want, LeBron James is the guy. Is he the best player in the NBA right now? That's a good question. Steph Curry is some kind of spectacular. Um, but if I had to pick, but LeBron James, I mean, he's all NBA defense. You know, Curry is not. But I have not since Larry Bird have I seen a guy with a more beautiful jump shot than Steph Curry. He can shoot the ball from anywhere. He can pass. He can shoot. Um, he's he's just a beast. So who's the best player in the world right now? There's a very strong argument for Seth Curry. I still don't know that I wouldn't take LeBron James if I was building a team to start with and build around because I think he's got more tools than Curry does. Like regardless of offense, I think LeBron. But look, there's no arguing how spectacular Curry is. And I think there's a very good argument to be made that Curry is the best player in the world right now. But as far as my generation, not since uh, not since Jordan have we seen a guy so own the game. He's just taken three different teams because remember, he changed teams twice. And yes, two of those teams are both Cleveland Cavaliers, but this Cleveland Cavalier team is on now is a totally different team than the one he left. He's been on three different teams, and for six years in a row with three different teams, having changed teams twice, has taken his team to the NBA Finals six times. Six times in a row. Dominique never did that. Kobe never did that. Um... Whoever else, you may, you know, David Robinson never did that. Um, you know, it's it's just, it's crazy what he's done. But, but as far as the finals go, Cavs versus Warriors, it's simple. It's the same thing as last year. Who's the better team? Obviously, the Golden State Warriors are the better team. They are. They're going to win the finals. And look, I thought 
it was a travesty that the Golden State Warriors did not sweep the finals last year. They had no excuse to not sweep the finals because they were playing a Cleveland Cavalier team with, yeah, LeBron James, but their number two and their number three, Kyrie Irving, uh, Irving and, um, and Love, Kevin Love, the number two and number three best players on that team, all-stars, were out the entire series with injury. It was LeBron James by himself. And a bunch of role players that really stepped up. But the fact that the Golden State Warriors were already the much better team playing the Cavaliers and the Cavaliers were without their number two and their number three all-star best players. And yet somehow the Cleveland Cavaliers managed with LeBron James to win two games. To me, I always thought the Golden State Warriors should be embarrassed by that. But now we're moving into the next the next year now, and it's going to be the Warriors against the Cavs again. Only this time, um, the number two and the number three best players are going to be on the floor. It's going to be Le- LeBron, Kyrie, and, and Kevin Love. And I still think the Warriors are going to win. The Warriors are the better team. There's just no getting around it. They just are. Um, and so I'm going to pick a 4-1. I believe the, the, I, I think the Cavaliers can, can eke out one win because LeBron is LeBron, so they will get one win. But I think it's going to be 4-1. to one. I think it's Golden State Warriors win the series four games to one. Uh, but then we'll see what happens next year, because the Cavs are just getting better. And uh, we'll see what happens next year. Anyway, okay, don't worry, guys. Sports talk is over. Going to take a few more questions here uh, before we end the show. This next one comes from Aaron Raju, who writes, With Batman v Superman's negative reviews, many fans are crying for the end of Snyder directing DC films. With the lukewarm Apocalypse reviews, should Brian Singer step down as well? Um, But here's the thing, though. I I don't think this is an accurate or a level comparison because you're saying, okay, people are calling for Snyder to leave the the DC universe. Should people also be calling for... um, uh, Brian Singer to be leaving the X-Men universe. Th- there's a difference. Zack Snyder, and personally, look, you know what I think of Zack Snyder, and you know what I think of Man of Steel. I don't need to go into that again. I think Man of Steel is a freaking masterpiece of a film. I don't care what anybody else says. I think Man of Steel is a masterpiece. It gets better with every viewing. Um, and I like Batman versus Superman more than most people. You, you guys all know this already. But taking myself out of it, a lot of people didn't like Man of Steel. I think everybody's crazy, but whatever. <laughs> um, a lot of people didn't like Man of Steel. You know, it was right around the 50% critic mark. Um, made a good amount of money, but some people thought it should have made more. And, and the audience is pretty much split on it when you talk to a lot of fans online. And with Batman v Superman, obviously the critics hated it. And a lot of, a lot of the fans didn't like it either. So that's two films in a row. With Brian Singer, it's a totally different story. Brian Singer has now directed four X-Men films, all right? And three of them are just flat-out spectacular. X-Men 1, X-Men 2, X-Men Days of Future Past, and now X-Men Apocalypse. Those first three are fantastic, fan-frickin-tastic movies. I love all three of them. And the last one he did before Apocalypse was X-Men Days of Future Past, I believe in the top five, in the top five best comic book movies ever made. It belongs up there in the conversation with the Dark Knight and Avengers and Civil War. It belongs up there in that conversation. 
So now he does Apocalypse. And just to be safe, I'm going to bring up, um, just because I forget what it is, I'm going to bring up the Rotten Tomatoes score here. So Apocalypse is writing, it's about, it's split. It's about a 50-50 thing on Apocalypse. Apocalypse right now, as I'm looking at it, is 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. So 50%, a 74% audience rating. So as opposed to like Batman v Superman, which I think the last time I checked had like a 20-something percent rating and a 60-something percent audience rating. So with Zack Snyder, you have two films in a row that people have been split on. With Brian Singer, you have three spectacular movies and now this one that's so-so. So I don't believe these are equivalent scenarios, the Zack Snyder and the Brian Singer one. To me, um, and I enjoyed X-Men Apocalypse, but it is, I believe, the worst Brian Singer X-Men film so far, but I still believe it's good. I still enjoyed watching it, but if you saw my review, you know I have my criticisms of the film as well. Um, But that means out of four films, even if you want to say that Apocalypse was a swing and a miss, and I don't think Apocalypse was a swing and a miss, but if you do, fine. Brian Singer is still batting 750. He's still batting 750. Three out of four have been spectacular. So I don't think um, there should be any rumblings about Brian Singer stepping down? I don't think Brian Singer should consider stepping down. He's three for four. And I believe four for four as far as making at least decent movies. I think X-Men Apocalypse was a decent comic book movie. But it does not compare to the quality of his other three. But that's one film out of all these comic book films he's done in the X-Men universe at any rate. Uh, obviously, he did Superman Returns, but we're talking about the X-Men universe. He's made three of them were spectacular. One of them hasn't been spectacular. Is that the time to call to panic or call for guy to leave? I don't think so. Now, Brian Singer comes back, does another one. I don't know, X-Men, the Jubilee Chronicles. I don't know. And it sucks and, and people hate it. Then I'm going to be on board with people saying, okay, maybe it's time for Brian to step away. Maybe it's time for Brian to step away, do something else. But um, I don't think one questionable film is enough to get people uh, upset or worried about that. All right, last question. Oh, no, sorry, just a couple more here. Uh, Drew Didelot writes, what's your favorite Magic the Gathering card? Um, well, So I got Anne into playing Magic the Gathering a few months ago, and now she's like obsessed. We play Magic the Gathering every night. We have friends come over. We play Magic the Gathering. Um, my fa- Right now, my favorite deck, okay, is an I actually built, for those of you who know anything about Magic the Gathering, don't worry, I know most of you don't play it, so I won't spend much time on this. My favorite deck right now, I play two decks primarily. I play a um, I play a green, or sorry, a red-black deck. And I play an all-white deck. And right now my all-white deck is my favorite deck to play with. Um, and my favorite card in the all-white deck is a Planeswalker car- card called uh, Ayani Goldsmane. It's a Planeswalker card. It's a great card. None of you will know what any of that means. But for those of you who do... That's my favorite card right now because it's my favorite card in my favorite deck. So that's uh, that's it right now. Um, all right, last question of the day. Colin Rumming writes, what did you think of the Supernatural season finale and how do you feel about where they're taking the show next? Um, I got to tell you, look, y- you all know Supernatural is my favorite show on TV. It has been for many years. It's had some really ridiculously strong seasons. It's had some questionable seasons, but it's always been my favorite show. I've been hanging in there. I think this season, um, 
has been really great. I think this season has been a wonderful return to really good form for Supernatural. And we finally, what we all suspected for the last four seasons, Chuck was God. He was God all along. And I think a lot of us suspected that ever since I think it was the end of season six, when we saw him disappear from that typewriter, got a lot of people speculating that Chuck may actually be God. And it turns out he was. And, you know, it comes down to God in the darkness. And it's like you get, you had God, you had Crowley, the king of hell, you had Lucifer, you had Amara, the darkness, you had the queen of the witches. I mean, you brought all the biggest heavy hitters together this season. And this was season 11. But it begs, look, it begs the question, I believe, I think it was season six. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was season six where Lucifer and the Archangel Michael were trying to have their battle and eventually the boys trapped them in, in Hell's Cage. But a lot of people, including me, go, where do you go after that? Where do you go? As far as villains go, after the devil, Lucifer himself was your villain. Where do you go after that? Well, if we're asking that in season six, imagine how much we're asking that question now. You literally had God versus his sister in the darkness. Where, and Lucifer was in there too. Where the hell do you go from here? And it looks like they're setting up that there's a European branch of the men of letters, that they're not very happy with the Winchesters, and understandably so, because the Winchesters made a lot of mistakes that have caused a lot of problems. Um, and then obviously we saw that their mom comes back, that the darkness god's sister, Amara, gives Sam and Dean their mother back. So she's now back in the show. I think it's, I'm really interested. I think instead of constantly trying to make things bigger and bigger and bigger, I think it's time for them to shrink it down a bit. I would love to see them have a season where they deal with not world ending issues like Lucifer and God and the darkness and the Leviathan or whatever, but deal now with some more character driven stories like the Winchesters versus the men of letters. What does it mean now that the mom's back? Get just into some more episodic monster hunting stories. I think it would be great for them to spend the next season just doing that. Let everybody catch their breath. And if they come back for season 13, then go big again. Or maybe you stop after 12. I don't know. They've certainly had a very good run. So that's where I see things are right now. All right, folks, that will do it for me for this installment of the uh, John Campia podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Listen, don't forget, follow me on Facebook and on Twitter by following me at John Campia. Make sure you sign up for Film HQ. You do that or you sign up for Comic-Con HQ where you can find my show, me and John Schnepp and a bunch of other people. Our show is called Film HQ and it's on the Comic-Con HQ network. And once again, you can sign up for that for free right now until after July to decide if you like the channel or not. And there's some great shows on the channel. Head on over to www.comic-conhq.com. That's www.comic-conhq.com and sign up for your free trial today. That'll do it for me, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is John Campia and until next time, bye-bye.